have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to finish up our sermon series through 1 Peter that we are calling Christians Are Crazy, How We Can Live for Christ in a World That Is in Crisis. I always get so sad when I finish a sermon series or a book of the Bible because it takes me about like eight months to plan and to prepare for the study. And then here we are eight weeks later and it's over. And I always get a little sad, but here's the good news is that 1 Peter is gonna be in your Bible for the rest of your life. And so you could always go back and you can read 1 Peter. But today we are wrapping up our study through 1 Peter. And before we do dive in, let me go ahead and tell you where we're going next as a church. So starting next week, we're opening a new series that we're calling We Are Redemption. It is a series that we're gonna walk through different people who have met Jesus through the gospels and how Jesus has changed their life and how Jesus wants to change our life. Our motto here is what? Life changed through? Jesus. And so we're gonna spend seven weeks meeting seven people who have met Jesus and everything in their life changed. And then after Christmas, we're gonna do a study on worship and we're gonna talk about what worship looks like and how we worship. Some of y'all, you're like, this church worships really weird. Like you might've grown up Catholic or Baptist and you're wondering why are all these people excited to be at church? Uh, and so we're gonna talk about what worship looks like through the Bible. And then we're gonna do second Peter. So don't get, don't get, don't miss Peter too much cause he's gonna make a comeback. Uh, and then I'm excited because after Easter, we're gonna start the book of Acts. That's right. We are gonna do an 80 week sermon series through the book of Acts, talking about how the Holy Spirit grows the church. And that's gonna lead us all the way into, by God's grace, the grand opening of our brand new building here in the heart of downtown Beaumont. So get ready, God is doing some exciting things here at Redemption, but we still need to finish 1 Peter. So grab your Bibles. Here's what the sermon title is today, how to keep going when you want to give up. That's what we're gonna talk about. Since there are so many new people, I think it's always important for me to reintroduce myself. My name is Byron. Uh, me and my wife, Ashley, we started Redemption six years ago. We just celebrated 14 years of marriage. We both got saved at the age of 20. We have two beautiful girls. They're at home sick right now. So please pray for my family, Esther and Ruth. Um, and their middle names are Sun and Moon. And no, those are not hippie names. Uh, my wife is a first-generation Korean-American and Sun and Moon are actually Korean names or family names. And so we wanted our daughters to be able to keep a little bit of their heritage. And so that's a little bit about my family. I'm left-handed. Anybody else left-handed, right? You're the only one, right? Everybody else is uh, not, we're the only ones in our right mind, even though we're left-handed, okay? Um, and I always wear black. I pretty much wear the same thing all the time, every day. And I really like running. I enjoy running. Some of you are like, you like running? Absolutely. See, I used to just run from my problems, um, but today I run for my health and I, I enjoy running. It's, it's what I like to do. It's my main form of exercise, but it, it wasn't always that way. Um, I actually picked up running during COVID. So when COVID happened and the world shut down and the gym shut down, I like, I want to stay healthy. So I decided I was going to run because, well, running is free and I didn't have to wear a mask while doing it. And so I decided I'm just going to start, I'm going to start running. And now when I first started running, I'll be honest with you, 
I was not very good at it, right? I could not even run a mile without wheezing, like, <sighs> like, you know what I'm talking about? Like I, I could barely run a mile, but then I just kept running. And then eventually I was able to run two miles. And I felt pretty good about myself. After a few months of running two miles in the morning, I worked myself up to running three miles and I felt pretty good. I'm running a 5K a day. Come on, I felt pretty good. And so I stayed right there for several months until one day I had this crazy idea. It's like, I'm gonna run five miles. Because in my neighborhood, there was, you know, I could run this loop right here and it would be a three mile run. But there was a stop sign. And if I ever made it to that stop sign, I had to turn left and I would make my way back home. But if I turned right, there was another neighborhood with another route and I could run that way, come back around and it was a five mile run. And every day I told myself, I'm gonna turn right. I'm gonna run five miles. I'd get to that stop sign and all of a sudden, I'm gonna turn left and I'd run the other way. And I, the next day I'm gonna run five miles and I'd get to it. I'm like, I'm too tired. And then I would turn the other way. And the next day it's like, well, I woke up too late. I can't do it. And so then I would turn left and I would turn the other way. And I kept telling myself, today's the day I'm gonna run five miles. And then I'd get to that stop sign and then I would turn left. And one day I decided I'm gonna run five miles. I get to that stop sign and everything in me said, go home, turn around, go left. You're tired, you're exhausted, you're sweaty, right? You're thirsty, just, just go home, you're, you're, you're tired. And I got up to that stop sign and then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, just boom, I turned right and I ran five miles. It was crazy. And that day I realized something. There is a difference between running three miles and running five miles. Do you know what the difference is? Two miles. <laughs> no, here's what the difference is. In order to run three miles, well, you have to build up your, your physical strength. You have to get some physical endurance. Like you have to learn how to breathe. You have to learn how to stride. You have to get your gait right. You have to work all these things out in order to you know, go from couch to 5K to run three miles. It's about a physical endurance. But, but that five miles is not about your physical strength, but it's your mental strength. Something happens where in that fifth mile, it's mind over matter. It's you talking to yourself. It's you building yourself up. It's you encouraging yourself. It's you speaking to your situation and telling yourself that even though you want to give up, you keep going. It's a mental strength. Well, the same thing that is true for us physically and mentally, today Peter is gonna tell, tell us that it's true for us spiritually. Spiritually, when you want to give up, you have to have a spiritual strength that is gonna keep you going. Listen, here's the big idea today. When you are going through hell, don't stop. Keep going. Like, why would you stop in the middle of a hard time? Why would you stop in the middle of difficulty? Why would you stop when you're right there in the middle of your pain? Don't give up, don't quit, don't give in. Keep going. When you're going through hell, don't stop. In your marriage, if you're struggling, don't give up on your marriage. Keep moving forward. When it comes to your children, if they're prodigals who have turned their back on God, don't quit praying for them. Keep believing for them. When you're going through hell, financially, relationally, when you're going through physical, whatever it may be, keep praying, keep believing, keep moving forward. And when you are going through hell, have the strength and the perseverance and the endurance to not stop, but to keep moving forward. That's what Peter is gonna to talk to us about today. Because why? His church knows what it's like to go through hell. 
They know what it's like to have hard times. Why? Because they are being persecuted. He tells us in chapter one, he says that you are exiles. What does that mean? It means they've lost everything. They've lost their homes. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their families. They've lost their children because persecution has risen up between the religious and between the Roman government. They have been kicked out of their homelands. Everything that was safe, convenient, and comfortable has been ripped away from them. And now they are exiled, living in foreign lands, around people they don't even know under the threats of being arrested because of their beliefs. They're exiles. And he says, you're going through hard times, but remember, you're also elect. What does that word elect mean? It means you have been chosen by God. When the world has rejected you, God has selected you. That God has chosen you. God has called you to be his. You are a, a prized possession. You are a royal priesthood. You are a living stone that God is using to build up his kingdom. That's who God says that you are. And so even though the world has rejected you, God has chosen you, which gives you the strength to keep moving forward, even in those difficult times. And so here's Peter right now. He's writing to his church saying, guys, I know it's difficult but don't quit. And as a pastor, I would say the same thing to you right now. Guys, I know that it's difficult. Don't quit. I know that culturally it's difficult right now. When you look at our society and you turn on the news, you, you wonder, you're like, are they crazy or am I crazy? Right? You look at what's going on in our culture or, or, or scroll through TikTok or Instagram or, or have conversations with, with different people and you'll recognize that their way of life and our way of life does not align. And as we continue to pursue holiness, people are gonna think we're even more outdated, antiquated and, and bigoted in our beliefs. And so there's a persecution feeling that's rising up towards us. He says, don't quit. But I also know that in your marriages, in your family, with your finances, with your income, with your job, with your responsibilities, with your mental health and physical health. There's a lot of burdens that are on you and you might wanna give up sometimes. You might wanna give in. You might want to just throw your hands up and, and walk away. And what Peter is gonna say today is this. He says, don't give up. Don't give in, keep moving forward. And then he's gonna tell us how. So when you feel like giving up, he's gonna give us five things to keep going. The first thing he says, when you feel like giving up, chapter five, verse one, he says this. He says, you need to select your shepherd. Here's what he says. So I exhort the elders among you, circle that, we're gonna talk about it, as a fellow elder, what is that? That is a pastor. He's talking to pastors here. And as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is yet to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Pastors are to shepherd and take care of the church, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, the big sheep guy, when he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter putting all of this together, going through the trials, the tribulations, the suffering. He has spoken to different individual groups throughout. He's talked to husbands, he's talked to wives, he's talked to us in our relationship with the government, with our relationship with others, with our relationship with people who hate us. And now he's gonna close out by talking to pastors. And here's what he says to the pastors. What does he say? 
He says, I encourage you. He says, I exhort you. Why? Because Peter is a pastor too. And he says, guys, I know what it's like to be a pastor because I'm a pastor just like you. And while the rest of the church is suffering, I know you're suffering as well. But I know also this, that pastors are typically so busy taking care of people, they rarely take care of themselves. And while they're pastoring others, very few people actually pastor pastors. And so Peter, as the pastor of pastors, what does he say? He says, I encourage your pastor. I see him. I see what he's doing. I see his work. I see the time. I see the energy. I see the stress that he is carrying. And what does he say? He says, I exhort the pastor of the church. I encourage you, pastor. Don't give up. Did you know that pastors get tired too? Did you know that pastors get discouraged too? Did you know that pastors have emotions too? Did you know that pastors have problems just like you? If you're taking notes, I want you to understand something. It's gonna blow your mind. Pastors are people too. I know you probably didn't notice that, but pastors are people too. Peter took five chapters and what is he doing? He's giving, he's giving encouragement. He's giving blessing. He's giving instruction. He's bringing truth to who? To those who are in the church. And guess who else is a part of the church? The pastor. And so he takes a special moment and he encourages the pastors because pastors are people too. There was a study released just a, a, a year ago from Barna Organization. And here's what they discovered is that following 2020, 40% of pastors have considered quitting the ministry in the last six months because of the, the pressure that they are put under. 2020 was wild. 2021, crazy. 2022, 2023, it ain't getting no better, right? I mean, it was so hard during that to try to make bring unity in the church because you have people on this side, they're like, we need to wear masks. And this side, they're like, no masks. And this side's like, we need to get the vaccine. And this side's like, no vaccines. And it's like, we got to stay shut down. This one's like, we can't shut down. And it was like, ah, I can't make everybody happy. I'm not a taco. (laughs) And, And the church was divided, but we became so used to being divided that that's actually just become our expectations and culture now. And so now the division just continues to play out in every other sphere, in every other area. And guess who gets caught in the middle? The pastor. And so 40% of pastors have considered quitting the ministry because here's what Peter says. He says, what is the job of a pastor to shepherd the flock? Just to lead the flock, to feed the flock, to love the flock, to care for the flock, to be attentive to the needs of the flock. That's, that's his job. Is that the job of a pastor today? No. What's the job of a pastor today? Oh, he's got to do everything. 
He has to preach the best sermons and pick the best worship songs. And he has to raise money for new buildings. He's gotta be a therapist. He's, he's gotta be a counselor. He needs to visit people in the hospital, the sick, the elderly, the orphans, the widows. And he's gotta be there for, for when people give birth to babies. And then he has to be able to handle conflict and difficulty. He has to manage his staff. He has to preach like Stephen Furtick and lead like Craig Groeschel. He's gotta be creative like Bethel Church. And if he doesn't, I'm gonna go to the one down the street. There's so much expertise expectations that are placed upon pastors. It's really unrealistic for a pastor today to be able to meet the requirements that Peter gives this church because of the expectations our culture and society places upon the shoulders of pastors. And so pastors are stressed and tired and pastors are doing the best that they can, but they're also feeling very burnt out. So pastors need encouragement too. And so here, here I wanna read you some statistics about pastors just so you can understand what our team goes through. 97% of pastors, according to the Francis Schaeffer Institute of Evangelism, 97% of pastors have been betrayed or falsely accused by a ministry partner. 70% of pastors battle depression. 7,000 churches close each year. 1,500 pastors quit ministry every month. 80% of pastors work 70 hour work weeks. Only 10%, listen, this one's insane. Only 10% of pastors retire as pastors. That means 90% of people who enter in ministry will not retire in ministry. It goes on and says, 60% are discouraged. 94% are under intense anxiety. 78% of pastors report having no close personal friends. And so what Peter says is this. I encourage the pastors. I wanna speak life into the pastors. Pastors, I exhort you and I encourage you in the Lord because Peter loves pastors. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but it's a month where people are to celebrate and to honor their pastors. And so I wanna take time and I want to appreciate my pastors. You know, I have pastors, right? I have, I have a pastor, his, his name's Donnie Flippo. He is the presbyter for the South Texas Assemblies of God in our region, and he's my pastor. So six years ago, me and Ashley, we moved to Southeast Texas to start Redemption Church. God put it on our heart to plant a life-giving, spirit-filled church in the heart of downtown. And so we met with the presbyter, his name's Donnie, and we said, hey, God's put a call in our lives to start a church here, but we're not ready yet. And so we, we said, well, what do you wanna do? I said, I wanna submit myself under your leadership. And I'm just gonna submit myself to you and we're gonna go to your church. And whenever you feel like we are healthy and ready to start a new church, then you will release us and, and, and then we'll go plant this church. You know why? Because in order for you to be in authority, you first must be under authority, right? A man who will not submit to any authority is not a man who deserves any sort of authority because he doesn't understand the meaning of accountability. And so I spent one year, me and Ashley, just serving at Gospel Center Church off of Highway 105, loving my pastor. And then whenever he said, Byron, you ready? That's when we set out to begin to plant Redemption Church. So I'm so thankful for my pastor, Pastor Donnie Flippo. We also have overseers here at the church that they pastor us that they, they, they make decisions for us as a church. They lead us, they guide us, they care for me and my family. And so Travis Lynn at Relevant Life Church in Moorhead, Minnesota, he's my pastor. 
Michael Moore at City Church in Albany, which they're opening their brand new building today. So shout out to Pastor Michael. He's my pastor. And then Pastor Lance Faulkner from Bridge Point Fellowship Church in Bridge City. He's my pastor, but I don't call him pastor. I'll call him crazy Uncle Lance. <laughs> but these are, these are my pastors. I'm so thankful for, for my pastors. And I'm also thankful for our staff here at Redemption Church because they serve so lovingly, so faithfully, and so selflessly every single week. I, I am thankful for, for JC and Dustin Selman, our next gen director, who, who she invests in the future of our church through the next generation, through kids and through middle school. I'm so grateful for Zach and Michaela True as they lead our youth. I'm just so thankful what God is doing every single week. I'm grateful for Amaris Berwick for keeping me organized and keeping my head on straight. I'm grateful for Ethan and Bree Berwick for the love and the, the, the attention that they give to people in the church through discipleship and through creative means. JC Sanchez leading us in worship. Meredy Ellis, our spiritual care director and her prayer and her intercession over every single one of you. Scott and Felicia Howard who are doing counseling at the church, who are taking phone calls after hours to be able to help shepherd and meet the needs of the people who are in our congregation. I mean, let's just give it up for our staff and team. Come on, come on. Aren't they incredible? Are they not so amazing? Trevor and Kayla Knox, how could I? Trevor and Kayla Knox, let's give it up. Do you know that there are, there are 266 serve team members that they actually pastor every single week. Come on, we gotta give it up for our team one more time. Let's go, let's go. And here's why I'm so thankful for my pastors and why I'm so thankful for our staff. You know why? Because if it wasn't for them, me and Ashley would be another statistic. But we're not. Do you know why? Because we've surrounded ourselves with some of the most amazing people who bless us and pour into us. In the same way that, that I need to do that, in the same way you must also select your shepherd as well. And so Peter here, he actually gives us five things to look for when we're looking for a pastor. And so these are, these are things that if you're gonna make it through hard times, guess what? You're gonna need a pastor. So what do you look for when you're looking for a pastor? He says, number one, you wanna look for somebody who leads willingly. He says, not under compulsion. You don't want somebody who's like, oh my gosh, I gotta go to work again. No, you want somebody who's gonna be like willing and, and excited about the ministry opportunities that they have in front of them. If somebody's ever forced to become a pastor, they're being held hostage. You need to set them free. Nobody should be forced into the pastoral ministry. What I always say is this, if you can imagine yourself doing anything but being a pastor, go do that. Because a person who serves, it's not a job for us, it's a lifestyle. Like most people can clock in and out of their job, I can't clock out. Right? Because when crisis comes up, whenever people are in need, it's never at an inconvenient hour. You ever notice that? People don't div get divorced on your timeline. <laughs> people, people don't have crisis when it's convenient for you. So you're looking for a pastor who is faithful and, and excited and willingly serves in the church. Number two, he says, someone who leads from their calling. You can quit a job, you cannot quit a calling. 
Jeremiah says, it's like a fire that's locked up in my bones. I have to do it. I will be unsatisfied if I'm unable to do it. I just have to share the good news of Jesus with other people. For a pastor, it's something that they are called to do. God has set a pastor apart uniquely in the kingdom of God so that they can equip others to do the work of the ministry. Your job is to do the ministry. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It's a symbiotic relationship and it must be done willingly and it must be done from a calling. And then number three says eagerly, not for selfish gain, not for gain like, oh, I'm the boss now. I'm the pastor now. I got a big title. So everybody needs to listen to me because I got a microphone and I'm on stage. Like that person is not a person you want to follow. You want to look for a person who serves eagerly, someone who's excited about what they do, not for, not for shameful gain, not for a, a title or a position, or respect or a reputation, but somebody who just loves people well. Listen, I know there's a bad rap amongst pastors today. Oh, pastors are just in it for the money. Did you know this? That 90% of pastors lead churches that are under 100 people. The average church in America, you ready? 60, 60 people. And so when people are like, pastors are just in it for the money, there ain't no money in this. Someone accused me recently. They said, you're just a wannabe megachurch pastor. I'm like, oh yeah, with my 2010 Toyota Yaris parked in the back of the parking lot, right? <laughs> you know, I worked for this church. When we planted this church, I didn't get a paycheck for the first two years. I worked two jobs to be able to provide for my family while leading this church, right? Why? It's not because I'm in it for money, I'm in it for the people, I wanna see a movement. I wanna see God change lives. I wanna see a revival. God has called me to this and I do it eagerly because I wanna be a blessing to others. I wanna be faithful to what God has called me to do. And then number four, he says, you look for somebody who leads by example, right? Here's a great question. If you're looking for a pastor, this is what you should ask. You should ask this. You should say, do I want my sons to grow up and be like him? If the answer is no, find you a different pastor. Do I want my daughters to marry a man with his character? If not, it's not a pastor you should follow because we are to lead by example. We lead by example in our marriage. We lead by example with our families. We lead by example in our holiness. We lead by example in our own personal witness. I had somebody come up to me today and they said, pastor, you know, we have somebody in our small group who you actually met at the gym and they're coming to our small group now because you have a relationship with them at the gym. Right? I, I want to lead the church on what witness and evangelism looks like. I'm not just here like doing my job. No, I'm doing the stuff. Yeah. I, I'm leading people to Jesus in my personal time and not just here on the platform. Right? I want to lead by example. And so a pastor should be an example. You look at their marriage. You look at their spouse. You look at their kids. You, you look at how they organize their lives because they're setting example for what you become like as you begin to follow Jesus. Here's what Paul says. He says, a man who doesn't have his house in order has no business leading God's house. Because there, there, is a, there is an example that we set as pastors to lead from the front. And then lastly, he says, he says that a pastor should lead you to Jesus. Now, is your pastor gonna be perfect? No. Are they gonna have it all together all the time? No. But here's the idea is that the chief shepherd is your pastor's boss. And he's the one who tells the church where to go. He's the one who tells the church what to do. And the pastor is to point people to the chief shepherd. Listen, your pastor is not perfect, but he should point you to the one who is.
Like, I'm not perfect. I'm gonna fail you. I'm gonna disappoint you. I'm gonna preach a sermon and sometimes you're not gonna like it and I'm gonna stutter over my words and I'm gonna make a bad decision and I'm gonna change something and you're gonna get offended. It's inevitably gonna happen, but here's the deal. I never said I was perfect. I just say, hey, Jesus is perfect and we're all doing our best to follow him. Ashley's not perfect. She's better than me, but she's not perfect. Our staff is not perfect. JC, maybe, but the rest of our staff, not perfect. But you know what? Every single person on this team, they're pointing you to Jesus. They're just saying, hey, let's follow Jesus together. Let's be like Jesus. Let's be a little bit more like him than we were yesterday. Hey, let's experience life change through Jesus. I'm getting some life change. You're getting some life change. Let's experience life change through Jesus together. Your pastor is not perfect, but they should point you to the one who is. When you are going through hard times, find you a leader who is going to help you follow after Christ. That's what you look for. Number two, he says, choose your church. What's the next line? He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. So you need to select your shepherd and then you need to choose your church and then submit to that leader. Submit to that house, submit to that vision, submit to that mission. Here in Southeast Texas, there are 200 amazing local churches here in Beaumont. I love them. They're amazing Say, why are there 200 churches in Beaumont? You know why? Because different churches reach different people. And there's a lot of people in Beaumont, so we're not in competition with each other. Do you know who the competition of the church is? It's not the church down the street. It's (laughs) T-ball. And Little League Soccer. And the Dallas Cowboys. (laughs) Not our enemy. The church across the street is not our enemy. They are our brothers and sisters. And so do you know what that means? That you can come to Redemption Church. And if you like it, amazing. And if you don't, you can leave. Did you know that? You could just go to a different church. Instead of complaining and trying to change everything on the inside... You can just leave. And here's what I know is this. Our church is not for everybody. But there is a church for everybody. It's true. Our church is not for everybody. I mean, as you can tell through 1 Peter, every single Sunday, people just get up and walk out because they don't like what I'm saying. Our church is not for everybody. And you know what? That's okay. Because if we tried to be for everybody, we wouldn't be us. God has called us to be us. And if he wants you to be a part of us, be a part of us. If you don't, go find you a place where you can. That's why he says, be subject to your elders. And if you can't, go find you someone you can. Yeah. Our church is not for everybody, and that's okay, but there is a church for everybody. So the question is, well, what do I look for in a church? Three things that I'll submit to you, right? Number one, do you agree with them theologically? Right? There's, there's doctrinal things that every church has. It's a system of beliefs that govern that church. And so there's certain doctrines that are non-negotiable, like the Trinity, um, uh, the second coming of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, one God, three persons, the hypostatic union. Like those are non-negotiables. If you don't, if you find a church that doesn't believe in those things, that's not a church, that's a cult. And if you 
begin preaching those things and they're not true, then you're just a heretic. So don't go to those churches. But underneath that, there's even secondary doctrinal issues that will help guide what a church looks like. And you need to know, do I agree with those things? So, so for me personally, like I wouldn't go to a church that baptizes infants. You know why? Because I don't believe in that. I believe in baptism by immersion. I wouldn't go to a church that teaches that speaking in tongues is of the devil. You know why? Because I'm a tongue-talking, Jericho-marching, demon-stomping, praying church, right? That's what I am. And so I'm not going to go to a church that I, I disagree with. I'm going to find a church that I do agree with. So where do you draw the line theologically between where you want to be at? Like at Redemption Church, we believe in tithing, 10% first and best to the Lord. Like if you don't like that, go find a church that doesn't teach that. Like it's okay. There are dozens of churches that you can align with theologically. Number two, do you agree with them philosophically? Like there is a method to the way that churches do ministry. Okay, so for us at Redemption, like we do sermon-based small groups, right? If you come in, you're like, the best way for spiritual formation and discipleship is through Sunday school. And that's how you have to say it, right? You can't say Sunday school. No, you have to say Sunday school, like, like what my grandma did whenever I was a kid, like Sunday school, right? Well, you know what? We don't do Sunday school. Like we do sermon-based small groups. And so you're at the wrong church. If you think drums are satanic, go find your church that doesn't play drums. Because if you haven't noticed, we get a little loud in here, right? And you're going to get a little frustrated and, and, and because we're not going to line up philosophically. And you know what? That's okay. And then number three, do, do I agree relationally? Now, does this mean we have to agree on everything? No. It just means that even in our disagreements, there need not be division. Yeah. Like we, we find where the line is and then, we, and then we love one another up until that point. That we can disagree without not actually having to bring division into the church. And, and, and we love one another and we care for one another. And like a family, we fight, but we don't fight like enemies. We fight like family. And at the end of the day, we love one another, that there is a warmth within our relationships. And if not, it's okay. Like go find somewhere else. Just go find some other. And you know what? Here's the craziest thing. I see it all the time in churches. Did you know this? Like if you decide like, that's just not the church for me, you can still be friends with the people that you met in that church. Like, do you know that? Like, just because you don't go to the same church doesn't mean you can't be friends. It's like, not like we're in gangs. <laughs> right? It, it, it's, not, it, it's, not like, it's not like, oh, you know, I, I can't talk to them anymore because we don't go to the same church. No, you can. But don't just not go to church altogether. Like, that's my, that's my hope, is that, is that you would find a church. Why? Because God did not create you to do life alone. God wants you to do life with people. So there's amazing churches here in Southeast Texas. Like if you're like, I just don't think redemption's for me, you should go check out Praise Church. Pastor Reg, he's incredible. Their church is amazing. What they do for the, for the next generation, their youth group, fantastic. Right? Encounter Church, Pastor Brent Sparks. Right? Their church, amazing. They have two locations, Mid-County and in Orange. My friends, Andrew and Caitlin Wilson over at, at Trinity Church, wonderful church. Sojourn Church, incredible churches. I just pray that you would find a church that you can call home. Because when you're going through hard times, you're gonna to need to have people who are there for you, who care for you, who will bless you and support you, motivate you, encourage you through those difficult times. Number one, he says, select your shepherd. Number two, he says, choose your church. Number three, and we gotta move fast, is that we guard our hearts. 
I told myself at the beginning of this sermon I was gonna go faster and I'm not. <laughs> Number three, guard your hearts. Clothe yourselves in all humility towards one another for God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he might exalt you. You know what this world is not lacking in? Pride. This world has tons of pride. We even have a special month for it. That's how this world works is that there is pride for everything. And we teach people how to be prideful. We call it self-esteem. We call it self-help. We, we have even people in the church who have Instagram accounts who are promoting this self-idolatry about building up your self. You know what all that is? That's just pride. Here, here's, what, uh, here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather it is thinking of yourself less. And what Peter is saying is when you're going through hard times, you have a choice. Every morning you get dressed, you can put on pride or you can put on humility. But you have a choice. I want you to understand something. Only you can humble you. Some people will think circumstances have humbled me. No, they haven't. Circumstances can only fuel your pride. Have you ever been told you were wrong and then you're like, no, I'm not, but you knew you were? It's called pride and marriage. <laughs> you ever been in a, in a situation where you, you were humiliated and you made an inner vow that said, that will never happen to me again? That inner vow is nothing more than pride because situations and circumstances can humiliate you, but only you can humble you. Sometimes people think they can humble you. They're like, look at them. I need to knock them down a peg or two. You know why they say that? Because they're proud. People can't humble you. Circumstances can't humble you. Only you can humble you. Your humility is your responsibility. You have to put it on. And then what happens when you put on and clothe yourself in humility? What does it say? God will exalt you but that God opposes the proud. This whole world is filled with pride. And you know what the Bible says? God hates it. Why? Because it's, it's pride that keeps you from turning and trusting in him. Because then you think you have to fight your battles. You think you have to come up with the ideas. You're doing things in your energy, your strength. You're trying to overcome situations on your own abilities. And God's like, okay, that's what you want. Go ahead, go for it. I'm not gonna help you anymore in this because you don't need me no more. The whole world is just, I don't need God. I can do it by myself. But then there's this little group of people known as Christians who they, they, they say, okay, I can't do it. I need God's help. And God says, oh, I love these people. Let me lift them up. Let me build them up. Let me strengthen them and encourage them. Right? You have to guard your heart against, against pride because in difficult times, pride can creep in. But yet you can clothe yourself with humility. I have a whole list of eight things that I was gonna show you the difference. Ask your small group later this week. I'm gonna move forward. The next thing we see is this. Somebody, somebody, somebody moaned. Somebody's like, ah, is that right? Are y'all enjoying this? The next service can start late too. I'll run through it real fast. All right, pride is demonic. Pride is demonic. Did you know that? Right. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. So when, you, when you're acting in pride, you're actually acting in a demonic influence on your life. But yet humility is godly. Who's the most humble person? Not me. It's Jesus. 
Philippians says that he humbled himself taking on the form of a servant, even to the point of death. Jesus, always perfectly humble. Satan, always proud. Pride pulls hell up. You ever been in a relationship with a person filled with pride? It's filled with so much hell, right? But a relationship filled with humility brings heaven in. Pride is natural. That's why they call it self-help. Humility is supernatural. That's why you rely on the Spirit's help. Pride is like a demon that brings pain. Humility is the spirit that casts out the demon to bring healing. Pride will humiliate you. Proverbs says, pride goes before a fall, but humility will protect you because at the proper time, God will lift you up. Pride is how we war with God. In the unseen realm, demons, Satan, what are they doing? They are warring against God by bringing pain against his people. What does humility do? We worship God by loving people. Pride is a destination. You can arrive at pride. You can get there and it's not very hard. But yet, humility is a journey. You'll never fully arrive. Number eight, pride is the cause for relationship problems, but humility is the cure for relationship problems. Have you ever seen two humble people get in a fight? They're like, no, you go first. No, you go first. I want you to have it. No, I want you to have it. You hang up the phone. No, you hang up the phone. I love you. I love you more. I love you the most. I love you the most, most, right? Never seen two humble people fight. But I have seen proud people abuse humble people, walk all over them, mistreat them, take advantage of them. I've seen two proud people basically kill each other because they can't admit they were wrong but I've never seen two humble people start a war. Do you know why? Because pride is the problem, humility is the answer. The problem for everything in the world, it could all be rooted back to pride. Augustine, the early church father, he says this, pride is the mother of all sins and it is pregnant with all forms of evil. When you give into pride, you are susceptible to the most heinous sins you never thought you would commit. When you give in to pride, pride is the problem, but humility is the answer. Number four, what's behind all this pride? You need to know your enemy. Peter goes on and he says this, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. God loves you. Yay. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to me to devour. Satan hates you. Ah. Oh. Be mindful, be sober. Resist him, stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. When it comes to crisis situations, we have two choices. Some people, they go into fight mode. I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna argue, I'm gonna win, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defeat them, I'm gonna post something on Facebook. <laughs> and other people are like, well, I'm just gonna give up, I'm gonna run away, I'm gonna flee. How many of you go into fight mode? Hands, I'm trying to be humble now, pastor. <laughs> How many of you go into to flight mode? You're like, I shut down, I run away. Peter says there's another option and it's called faith. That you stand firm in your faith. Why do you need to stand firm? Because you have an enemy. I mean, so far in first Peter, we've seen all the problems. And now the big boss is revealed. It's the devil. Listen, you understand this. People are not our enemy. The enemy is our enemy, right? People, they're not our enemy. 
It's what's at work in the worldviews and in the systems and in their mind and through their sin that is our enemy. There is a real devil. It's not just, it's, it's, if, it was all, if all we had to face, face was, was the world and our flesh and the culture and, and other people's opinions and politics and sexuality and identity, if that was the only problem, then it would be okay. But the biggest problem is that there is a demonic spirit behind it that is energizing it. And this lion is going around looking whom he can devour. That's why he's devouring people. He's devouring families. He's devouring children. He's devouring sexuality. He's devouring identity. He's devouring people, people's finances. He's tearing it up. And it looks like he's winning in our culture and our society. He is looking to whom he can devour. And so what do you do when the lion comes roaring at you? Do you run from it? Do you get angry? Or do you stand firm in your faith? And you need to know your enemy. Listen, you have an enemy and he hates you, but you are not a victim because Jesus has given us victory. The victory we have is in Jesus. You are not a victim to your sin. You are not a victim to your shame. You are not a victim to your trauma. You are not a victim to your past. You are not a victim to your family of origin. You are not a victim to your circumstances, nor to the culture, nor to social media, nor to people's opinions. You are not a victim because in Jesus, you already have the victory. That lion has been defeated and the lion of the tribe of Judah, he rules and he reigns. You are not a victim. Number five, he says, last thing is you need to stand your ground. When you're suffering, when you're troubled, when you're hurting, what do you do? How do you not give up? He closes 1 Peter by saying this, and after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, how much grace? All grace. Who has called you into eternal glory himself, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion and forever, amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that in this, the true word of God, grace of God, stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, who likewise is chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mary and my son, uh, so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a holy kiss, except for you Pentecostals, because I know you use tongue. <laughs> Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. How do you get one more joke in there? What is the main theme of 1 Peter been? He said it in chapter five, verse one. And then he said it here at the very close. What is the theme? It's suffering. 21 times in this book, he's mentioned suffering. Do you know why? Because it's something we will all experience. Something we all go through. The question is not, will you suffer? The question is, when you suffer, will you suffer well? question is, when you feel like giving up, will you keep going? What does he say here? He says, stand firm, hold your ground. When you feel like giving up, don't keep going. Peter understands this because his church felt like giving up. And I know this because sometimes I feel like giving up. I know this because sometimes our staff feels like giving up. I know this because sometimes you feel like giving up.
I know it can be hard. I know you can wonder, is it worth it? Peter would say, yes, it is. So what do you do when you're going through hard times? Remember this as we close, write this down. The goodness of God does not remove difficulty. It gives you the strength to endure it. How do we keep going when we feel like giving up? Peter says here that God will restore, God will straighten, God will lift you up and God will give you strength. Do you need strength to keep going? He's the God of all grace. Do you need strength to persevere? He's got strength for you. God will give you the strength not to go around it, but to get through it. In the same way that I kept turning left until eventually I made a conscious decision to go right. Some of you in your life, you keep turning left. You keep giving up. You keep quitting. You keep going home. God says no more. Not today. Because today is the day that you go right. Today is the day that everything changes. Today is the day that you turn to me and I give you strength.